Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. And I'm on location this week yes. in the studio. Welcome back to the that? studio. How does it feel? Uh, it feels good. Uh, definitely is. I feel like I can contribute to the show a little better than I do remotely, which is still very, very little. <laughs> That's fair. Not that you don't contribute, but no, it's, it's a fair point. <laughs> it's very important. And I, and I think a lot of listeners right now are, are, are nodding their heads. Yes. Yes, we agree. Very little. Very little. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dig in because we have a ton to get to this week. Did we have a race this weekend? Yeah. Uh, was there a race? More than a race. I mean, yes. it was a spectacle. It was an embarrassment, according to some. According to some. It was a record breaker. According to some numbers. Yeah, a lot to get to at this event. So we have, obviously, a race to recap. The Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. That's a mouthful, and if you think that's a mouthful, wait until uh, the race this weekend. We mentioned the the name for that. Also, McLaren all-in in IndyCar. Uh, we mourn the passing of an IndyCar uh, legend, at least on the broadcasting side. And more silly season news, rumors, updates, all of that to get to this week. But first, let's start with our race recap of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. Okay. I don't know how many more times I can say that full <laughs> title because it's just really a lot to get to. I was going to say, how many times did you hear that over the course of the weekend, too? A lot. It's yeah. easier to just say Music City GP. Uh, yeah. The race in Nashville, Yeah, I'll say. Streets of Nashville. <laughs> Marcus Erickson went from flying over Sebastian Bourdais' rear wing to somehow winning this race. So much happened. I think is really you could split the race in, in half on how things went. Um, but first, let's get to our three takeaways. And I think my first takeaway, and I will say this from the perspective, all my perspective will be from what I witnessed and what I saw in Nashville. You still have not watched a race, huh? I have not. Oh, I will, you're a busy guy. I, yeah, I will watch it uh, shortly, probably not long after we record. But I will uh, have to check it later. So all my perspective is from at the track. So I just Which I think is a great perspective. I think you have somebody that watched it, somebody that was actually there. Because I think a lot of the people, uh, you know, you get differing opinions, obviously. So we'll get, you know, takes from both sides. So my first takeaway, one, this was a massive event, not just for the city of Nashville, but for IndyCar, but for Big Machine and Scott Borchetta. I Honestly, I understand there were a few hiccups, and I'm not going to you know, say that there weren't some things that can't be improved, but this was a really big event that got a ton of attention in Nashville, and I think it lived up to the hype as far as you know, giving fans something that was different and new and exciting, and with the way the crowd stuck around amidst you know, multiple red flags and a lot of cautions, especially in the first half of the race— I think you'd have to say this event was a success for year one. I would absolutely agree. I, I think when we look at what constitutes a good event, a good first-time event, I don't think the most important thing is how it races. I think the most important thing is how many people are in the seats and how many of those people had a good time. And I think it was, you know, obviously it was a great crowd, and I feel like majority of people that went to the race left satisfied. And look, if it ran, if it was the greatest street course ever, street course race ever, and 8,000 people were there, it would be a disaster. 
I don't care how good the racing is. So a champ car race, you know, <laughs> circa mid two thousands, right? So seriously, yeah. So instead, we 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 had some issues, and we'll get to those. But it, it couldn't have started off any better for a first time event in terms of interest, in terms of attendance, and in terms of TV viewership as well. I mean, this was a huge event for IndyCar and Nashville all around. And I think it's a resounding success. The changes that need to come, and I'm sure there are some, uh, will be dealt with and, and at the proper time. But I don't think it takes away anything from how the weekend went for the sport. I think logistically, I want to go through a few things that, that happened that people may or may not have noticed over the weekend, especially people attending. Number one, everyone knows about Grandstand 6 by now if you were there or or read anything online about this event. So, unfortunately, on Friday and then again on Saturday, Grandstand 6, which was coming off the bridge, going back into the stadium section uh, ahead of Turn 9, which I was in Grandstand 7, pretty high up. So right right next next to it. Right next to Grandstand 6. In fact, I sent you a picture of the uncompleted Grandstand 6 on Saturday. So... Unfortunately, that stand was not completed until Sunday morning. However, as Nathan Brown, the Indy Star, pointed out, they worked overnight on that stand, about 80 people. There was a, he labeled it a torrential downpour. I I don't know if it rained that hard of the track. I went to dinner Saturday night. It was raining. I wouldn't necessarily call it a torrential downpour, but it was raining very hard. People worked overnight. The grandstand was finished. Everyone who had three-day reserve tickets, which were most people for this event because those were the first tickets that went on sale all the way back in February, and those sold out for this event. Everyone who had those type of tickets Friday and Saturday, if they have not already been but are going to be refunded for Friday and Saturday, Sunday, they obviously had their seats. Everything was good to go. So, again, the key there, it was ready for Sunday. And Nathan Brown said that that stand alone had about 4,000 capacity in it, So, I mean, it is a massive grandstand, bigger than the grandstand I was in. So that's, I think, the first logistical thing. Some of the other logistical things, you know, they had water stations to refill your water bottle. You could only bring in, like, a clear plastic water bottle. They had them. Most of the time, they were easy to find. Sometimes not so much. There was one on Sunday that ran out, but they did refill it before the start of the race. Again, those are things that logistically they'll figure out in year two. I thought there weren't enough trash cans on site. Uh, Also, there were a ton of food vendors. And some people were complaining about the food vendors. I thought there were almost too many food vendors. You had a a row of food trucks in one area in the infield. You had the fan zone, which there are tons of freebies for food that that places were giving away. Oh, yeah. I mean... It, it felt like the old days where you have a fan zone and lots of freebies and things to do. It, it was kind of shocking just to have that experience again. It was great, but it was just kind of shocking, a shock to the system when you haven't experienced that for a while. Um, and then I guess, you know, I, I think positives, parking was not as difficult as I expected it to be. There are several lots. Obviously, having the pedestrian bridge for fans to go in and out of the racetrack of uh, connecting with downtown Nashville is great. I think that's a key feature of this event is the easy access to downtown. And I thought the track outside of just needing a few changes here or there, we can touch more on that later, but I thought the track was pretty solid. I mean, there are a few sections that were tight. They were able to grind down some of the bumps for the bridge. 
honestly, I thought it was entertaining in person. I was never bored. I never felt like there was a lull. Even the red flag period, you know, the first red flag, the second red flag was much shorter. But there was never really a lull. I never was bored. I felt entertained. I enjoyed my time, basically, to sum it up. And that's the most important thing for people that were on site. Did they have a good time? And, uh, you know, the majority of things you mentioned, Caleb, are just, you know, first year event issues. Yeah. Where, you know, we've all, all heard of issues where there's not enough bathrooms or not enough, you know, concessions or at all at all different venues, not just racetracks. So I feel like this is something that, uh, you know, everything you said has probably already been listed by the by the event staff and, and making it a priority for for year two. You know, I, I saw a lot of people post that picture, you know, of Grandstand 6 with the workers kind of sitting there and watching. Um, you know, Nathan Brown made a point that, as from what he was told, the workers could not work on that grandstand during on-track activity. Correct. Because they would have had to clear some or all of Grandstand 7, where you were at, Caleb. Correct. Uh, to make enough room, you know, for a safe, you know, work workspace. So, people that were blaming those guys from standing there watching the race, you know, they couldn't work. They couldn't do what they needed to do to get that ready. That doesn't, you know, uh, dismiss the fact that it should have been ready earlier, obviously. But I'm not going to blame them for not working throughout Saturday and even Friday to get it ready because they had fans in those seats. And Mr. Hatch was one of them. So uh, I thought it was I thought it went off as well as to be expected. You always expect some some first year glitches and they were a fair amount, but nothing that I think really crippled the event. No, and you know I'm glad you you mentioned that part about the the workers only being able to work when there was not track activity. I mean, we were there at the track, and there were cars on track, and you just saw them. They were just kind of standing around, and some of them even actually did some work. And it was I'm talking some like there were probably a half dozen people there during the day. Think about it; they built most of this stuff overnight at nighttime. A because it's cooler. B that's normally when a lot of those you know kind of builds happen. I mean, they had to do a lot of the track build at night as well, uh, just due to traffic and able to get everything done. So to me, I understand it it would have been a huge black eye if that scene was not completed for Sunday. But the fact that it was, I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass there. Sure, definitely. I I feel that they did what they could do under the circumstances should have gotten started earlier or gotten everything earlier, but sometimes that's out of even the, uh, the, the tracks control. I mean, they're contracting a lot of this stuff out. So if the contractor doesn't deliver, yes, the event staff take the hit and the blame, but that's not really fair to blame them for some things like this. And some other logistical things, uh, the gas station, which I was uh, across the track from that, Uh, The promoter had to pay for basically the business they would make in a typical weekend. There's a a hotel. The the quality in. Yeah, they had to reserve all the rooms. And then I believe either VIPs and or people with teams use that uh, for the weekend. So they had to to utilize that. But but. They booked the whole thing out. So those are logistical things. Yeah, it gave me a, a laugh because, you know. Watching the even the practice on Friday, and I'm seeing the quality in, which the sign is right next to the track where the quality in, and there's a La Quinta in right next door, too. But that quality in is the prototypical roadside hotel look, 
and it was just looked so out of place, even though, yes, this is a street course. These actual streets are in a town. It was just um, a little bit kind of jarring to go, oh, yeah, you know, quality in right there, like right, literally right next to the fencing. It was kind of weird. And then you look at the crowd. We've seen reports anywhere from fifty to 60,000, approximately 110,000 expected of the weekend. It was a big Saturday crowd. The Sunday crowd was just massive. And outside of Long Beach and the Indy 500, probably the biggest race day crowd we'll have all season. Without a doubt. And tremendous job to of marketing and getting people excited about the event. And we can talk about price points, especially the paddock passes that were $1,500. <laughs> Little crazy, but if they got people to pay $1,500 for paddock passes, good on them. And you know what? If... If next year they're lower, look, if the it's supply and demand, if there's enough demand for fifteen hundred dollar paddock passes when you can go to another race and get them for ten, fifteen, then good on the promoter for doing that. In my opinion, if you can yeah. make your money, make your money. Well, and again, a lot of people complaining about ticket prices. I mean, this is Nashville is a very expensive city. Like it, it's it's not Indianapolis, okay? It's not also going to mid Ohio. Nashville is expensive, so hotel rates are going to be expensive. However, if you had to get a hotel, thankfully I did not because I have family who lived down there, just stayed with them. You slept under Grandstand 6. (laughs) Yeah, I was one of the lazy workers, apparently. That guy won't move. We can't work on this thing. (laughs) But hotels are expensive there. However, they had special rates for the race if you you booked through the GP site. They had like a, a code or something. So they had options available for you. Now... $1,500 $1,500 paddock passes, yeah, that's excessive. It's excessive. However. Did people buy them? Yeah. You know, supply and demand. You have a limited supply. If demand is high, then you can charge more. Also, I will say, people are acting like you couldn't get into the paddock. No, you couldn't get into the IndyCar paddock. But as far as the, uh, what, what was it, GT America series? Yeah. And Trans Am, you could just walk around and hang out with all those cars for free. And remember this too, Caleb. This is an event that is going off without a single cent of tax money. Correct. From the city. So not only does the Music City GP have to finance every single thing, including 2,513 concrete barriers... Not to mention all the brand new fencing. This, this nothing was borrowed from any other street course or race course in the country. This was bought. I mean, that is a lot of investment. Okay? And, and, and the fencing and the barriers. So the local NBC affiliate they did a little preview show, and I watched that either. Yeah, I think it was Saturday night, and really good stuff. They only mispronounced one driver's name, and that was at the very end of the show. Can we guess who it was? You can guess. It's not going to be who you think. It's not Alex Pillow? Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, see? Yes, Good yes, job. Yes. Good job. Thank but you. But the uh, concrete barriers, they use some sort of new design through Middle Tennessee State University, which is nearby in Murfreesboro or Murfboro, if you're more local to that area. And they designed something, I guess, is more environmentally friendly. And it was, I mean, this is a completely new design for all the barriers. So, I mean... They came up with stuff that has not been done before. The fence, I think, was slightly higher than most fencing for a street course, you know, set up. A track, again, they've never raced on, never tested on. With everything said, and we're just talking about logistics and the event as a whole, 
yes, there are things that can be tweaked for year two. I think that's a given. I think that'd be a given for any first-year event. But I think overall, I thought it went pretty well. I was entertained by the race. I know people watching on TV may not have felt that way. But in person, I had a really good time. So, again, my first takeaway for a first-year event, I think this was a success. And I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, and to follow up, look, they wanted to at least get as close to break even as possible. We talked about it last week, Caleb, that they are expected not to make any money this year at a loss and you know maybe next year get closer. But you also look at the investors that involved and and you know I'm not saying every investor, but you know the majority of investors want to return on their investment at some point too. They're not just donating $100,000 just because they're nice. Some of them maybe be, but others are seeing an opportunity to make some money. So, considering all of that, and I think the big thing is no city money is going to this thing. I don't really blame Music City Grand Prix for having a little bit of a exorbitant prices here and there because they they need to pay for a lot of things and they also want to make money. It's capitalism, Caleb. They want to make some money. And if nobody bought $1500 paddock passes, if nobody bought the the overpriced food or whatever or seating or whatever, then they would have to change it. So, you know, speak with your wallet or or don't, but I feel like there's plenty of other more affordable IndyCar events to go to. Maybe is this one that's just going to be a little bit glitzier and glamier, glamour? I haven't heard anybody complain in Long Beach about the paddock pass, but I can tell you it's probably a little bit more expensive than it is at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, and that's to be expected. I mean, it's a more expensive market, as is Nashville, and it's a more expensive race. It's not a permanent course, so there's a lot more that goes into the design, the layout, the setup, the safety, everything. So, again, all things considered, yes, was it expensive? When I factor in my ticket plus, which is three-day reserved and, and a high up in a grandstand, there's there's no way anyone, who, unless they're just there for the concerts and just the party, should buy a GA ticket, which those, I think, were 85 bucks on race day. It just it makes zero sense. You can't sit anywhere and see anything. Yeah. Which, again, to be expected. But some people want to go. They want to be there for the concerts, the party, the event. And that's fine. I mean, Nashville is an event city. So you're going to draw those people regardless. There's I imagine people who are checking this out for the first time who want a seat because, you know, oh, they, they got into IndyCar because the drive to survive and Grosjean or you know they've watched the 500 this year you know who knows but half the people there are probably there for the party and that's okay yeah i'm sure there was a fair amount of people that bought you know three-day race passes that did not sit in a bleacher a single time yeah right and that's okay that's fine paying customer it counts Counts the same as the diehard that's uh, been to every IndyCar race in the Midwest for the last five years. They still pay the same amount as the person that's only interested in drinking and listening to country music. And that's fine. They also paid the same amount. Fine with me. Correct. All spends the same. All right. Enough on my first point. What's your first takeaway? Well, I think it's another topic we're going to talk a lot about. And, And let's talk about the amount of cautions. What was it? Nine cautions, two reds. So much being talked about. Was it the track? Was it the drivers? Was it the you know the situation? Was it the event in terms of drivers trying to force things to put on a good show? 
I thought that, that Marshall Pruitt said it best in his cool-down lap uh, on Racer.com out of the event is you look at all of those, at least the majority of the incidents, were all driver errors. It was guys putting a car where it shouldn't have been. And, yeah, there's probably not as much room to, you know, the, the margin for error is very small, particularly in that, what, four through seven complex, four through eight complex that's really tight. But by and large, the errors that led to cautions and reds were created by the drivers on track, not necessarily the track itself. And I, I, I believe that, too. I think Marshall was on point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you look at the cautions, and he went through it one by one, but just pulling up the box score. So the first caution, which started lap two to, to lap three, was for Dalton Kellett. His steering wheel literally came off. <laughs> like, that's that's literally what happened. There's not much you can do there. Kind of a problem. Yes, a little bit. Second caution, which came a few laps later, Marcus Erickson launching over Sebastian Bourdais. Again, driver error. Uh, you look at the next caution, uh, Scott McLaughlin in, in turn four with contact, taken out by Will Power. And McLaughlin had an amazing save in that race as well, coming over the bridge when he was battling side-by-side side with Max Chilton. If you've seen that clip, that's yeah, pretty incredible. Also, then you look at more contact with, you know, a million cars, and that was just, again, driver error. You had Will Power get into Simon Pagino. You had Renus VK with contact. That was on him. You have McLaughlin. You have Kellett and Power. Again, that's Will Power who caused that. Yes. Pato we'll Ward him. and Alexander Rossi. Kind of a racing deal, but Pato kind of put the car in a spot where I don't think it should necessarily, you know, go right. Yeah, I, I mean, I to agree. me, that's on Pato. Yeah, uh, Cody Ware spinning that was all in Cody Ware, which he got the rare disqualification failure to participate at competitive speed. Ouch. Yeah, that and he was well off the pace, but when he was running, f- I'll defend Cody Ware a little bit here. It was his first ever street course ever. Yep, anywhere. So I'm willing to give Cody Ware a pass. Now, we can debate whether he should be even out there or not in that situation. But the fact is, he was, you know, we're talking about drinking from a fire hose and everybody keeps throwing Jimmy Johnson that conversation. Cody Ware was drinking from a fire hose over the weekend. And he was not a problem ever. Uh, just the fact that he couldn't keep pace on Sunday. And then lastly... Contact for car 26 in turn 9. I saw that happen right in front of me and just a few laps before. Heard it locked up and nearly lost it and saved it. So it was really not all that surprising that he lost it in that turn while trying to chase down Erickson. He had closed the gap from, what, about 1.5 after he nearly crashed down to under a second. And then he crashed, and I I don't know what he said on the broadcast, but to me I would have guessed that either his brakes went out or he had flat-spotted his tires from the previous 4A nearly into the wall, and, and that did it. Well, he kind of owned it. I mean, he, you know, post-race, he just he said he just threw it in the wall, and, and he kind of threw it away. So we saw that more than once over the course of the weekend. We saw Joseph Newgarden do it in qualifying. It was a very challenging circuit, and J- there's nothing wrong with that. Jimmy Johnson had a massive crash in morning warm-up. It was just amazing that they even were able to get a car together to make the grid. Yeah. So... All those crashes, though, over the weekend, I mean, they were all driver error. The only one that I think is even closely debatable is Pato and Rossi. And to me, that was on Pato. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a proponent of widening the track and spots. And again, Nathan Brown from the Indy Star has said that track officials have already begun those discussions. They have the capability of widening some of those uh, areas of the track that are pretty tight. But mine is more just for the raceability of the track. I think they can do a little bit more to make it more exciting elsewhere on the circuit other than the two or three obvious passing zones. But I have nothing uh, wrong to say about a track that's extremely challenging to drivers. We saw even the best drivers in the sport, guys like Colton Herta and Joseph Newgarden, screw up over the weekend. And that's okay. I I feel like... It's absolutely fine to have a track like that that challenges challenges your drivers. So I have nothing wrong with the circuit. I thought it was fine. I'd make some tweaks purely for the raceability and the ability to to get runs and make passes. But you know what? If it's the same circuit next year, I'm all in. And 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 it's up to the drivers to to really behave. And we talk so much, Caleb, how excited we are when we get big fields. This may be a track that's better off having 21, 22 cars as opposed to 27. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another factor that you put into it. And we have more cars. We had 27 cars. They didn't really get that spread out, but they got bunched up several times. That's yeah. for sure. So I'm not saying, you know, you need to bump five or six cars. I'm just saying in this day and age of bigger fields, it's a great thing probably wasn't the best thing for a first-time event with everybody kind of learning to have 27 cars out there. For sure. I think my second takeaway, assuming you're done with your first. Yes, go right ahead. My second takeaway, Colton Herta. I understand he crashed, but what he pulled off in qualifying was just unbelievable. I mean, he was consistently ahead of the field, and then when it mattered most in the Fast 6 session, what he cleared the field by what, like a half second? Uh, six tenths, which was kind of skewed because he was on stick of reds mm-hmm. in the final round. So he was able to preserve those reds because he he advanced to the Fast 12 on blacks. Which is also incredible. So that was the, yeah, that was the more incredible uh, portion of qualifying for me with Colton Herta is to run on blacks in the first round and advanced to the to the fast 12 which allowed him then to be so dominant in the fast six because he was able to preserve those sticker reds but he was on it from the opening practice through qualifying looked like the class of the field uh on sunday uh just you know had some circumstances that went against him and then put it in the wall i'm not sure if he would have been able to pass marcus erickson to be honest i mean he was closing but marcus erickson on the straights was just getting a phenomenal jump on Colton Herta. Correct. And I never felt, now granted there was, you know, some racing to go, I never felt that Colton Herta had yet to seriously challenge Marcus Erickson, and I'm not sure if he would have because whatever ground that Colton Herta was making up in the in the turns, Marcus Erickson was more than making up for in the straights. Yeah, that's that's one thing I definitely noticed at the track was that Herta was so good in the slow speed zones, but on on the straightaway on the bridge, he didn't really have the speed to to get by people ahead of him as far as guys who, you know, were actually competitive and not off the pace. But he was able to make moves in the, in that slow speed section, you know, in between the straights on the bridge that no one else could make that race. So that was impressive, the fact that lap times for this went from what? Practice 1 was like a low 116 to hurt his pole speed was a 113.6, I believe. Uh, just just incredible. 
and uh, it's a bummer that he crashed, but he owned the mistake. But he was the show, and I think that that's why this is a takeaway. He was the show. The crowd loved it when he was making moves, when he got Dixon especially, and that was, you know, the, the crowd roared every time Herta did something, and when he nearly crashed, you know, with about, I don't know, 15 to go, and then when he did crash with about 10 to go, Colton Herta was the show this weekend. I think a lot of people kind of left saying, wow, that, that kid's really good. Unfortunately, he didn't finish the race. No, he didn't, and he wasn't able to make up you know significant ground uh, in the points either um, to try to move up you know closer you know out of you know, I, 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 he's not in the championship race, but maybe a potential run at a at top five finish in the point standings. Him finishing nineteenth kind of threw any opportunity of making up significant ground away. So that was unfortunate for Colton Herta, and, and you know of course Andretti Autosport trying to get a victory. But you know you mentioned the crowd uh, reacting to you know moves and i thought it was a very you know racing in tune crowd we mentioned the people that were just there for the party but man there were tens of thousands of people there that knew their indy car knew indy cheer and were really engaged yeah and you know herda and andretti as a whole clearly has figured out the speed on street courses it's finishing the races that <laughs> It's kind of been an issue. You know, you can go back to last season as well for that. But the team has the speed, and they were the, the class of the field. He and Rossi, as far as outright speed, were the class of the field all weekend. All right, what's your second takeaway? We've got to talk Marcus Erickson, don't we? Yeah. How about this? You know, a guy that when he won uh, earlier this year at Detroit, we were like, okay, uh, maybe the kiss of death from Chip Ganassi Racing getting a win. Now he gets his second win of the season as it stands right now, has more wins than Scott Dixon this season. Who would have guessed that at any part of this season, at least this late in the year? And, you know, while circumstances didn't allow him to gain a lot in the points, sitting firmly in fifth, just 17 points out of second. Caleb, how about Marcus Erickson? But 79 out of first. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a challenger there and he needs a Herculean effort. But, you know, the last five races for Marcus Erickson, first, ninth, sixth, second, first. How about that for the Swede? And first ever win for Bryant in racing competition. Bryant was the primary sponsor. And also, let's not forget, Marcus Erickson, as far as we know, still not re-signed for next year at Ganassi, which is just puzzling. I don't know if they're asking for more money, if there's an issue with Husky Chocolate as far as the sponsor money coming in and Erickson, Erickson's backers. But clearly, I mean, based on talent alone, I think a lot of people thought that he was a guy who, who brought a check who's decent but, you know, wouldn't be a contending driver but he has really developed this year. We saw some consistency last year, but this year he has stepped up a, a, a lot. And, you know, outside of did, – did he have a bad race in one of the Texas races? Is that correct? Uh, he went 19th and 12th at Texas. Okay. So, so 19th is his worst finish of the season. Other than that, his worst finish is 12th, Texas too. So outside of that weekend, I mean, he's had a stellar year, and I think – He's flown under the radar until now, and I think now people are finally starting to pay attention. You get that second win, like you said, and have more wins than Dixon, people are going to notice. And, you may, you know, you talked about not having a contract, and we're not exactly sure. Maybe there's a handshake deal behind the scenes, but with a second win and, you know, maybe Chip Ganassi 
I, I assume it's a priority to sign Marcus Erickson, but could another team swoop in and potentially offer him a ride, Caleb? That's a good point. I mean, why would you leave the situation you're in? But if you're going to get a salary that's, you know, say significantly more, you know, double digit percentage more, do you consider leaving? Would a Team Penske with an open seat call Marcus Erickson? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, that's the seat that you would leave for. Correct. Obviously. I don't know if there's honestly any other seat I leave for. No. Than I mean, a, with, than a Penske car. with how Ganassi has been this season, I mean, they have been the dominant team this season. Yeah. So and we'll get to it later with, with Silly season, but presumably there will be a seat open at Penske. Whether they fill it or not remains to be seen. But, you know, if Marcus Erickson keeps wheeling like he does, could he potentially get a phone call? My third takeaway, and I think this is one that we've been waiting for all year, Ryan Hunter-Ray, James Hinchcliffe, finally, with results, Hinch gets a podium. This is his first top 10, let alone top five, or podium finish all season. Huge for that program. Ryan Hunter-Ray uh, gets a fourth place, his first top five. I think he had, what, one other top 10 this year? And yeah, so, it was a I tenth. Mean, like, it for, wasn't even... For a day that went from looking really promising early on with Rossi getting by Dixon on the start and Herta leading and Herta dominating the first half of the race and Herta retaining the lead while pitting, which was very bizarre with the pit lane set up there. <laughs> but those Another two guys... Another to get figured out, that, yeah. that, that pit entry or pit exit. Very confusing. But with those two cars dominating the first half of the race and Rossi getting into it with Pato and Herta falling back in the field, charging his way to the front only to make a mistake and crash late in the race. Salvage with a third and fourth place with, with two cars that have struggled basically the entire season. I think that's a, a big deal, not only for those drivers, but for those teams on those specific cars, you know, as far as confidence goes into this weekend. And also a last-ditch effort, if you will, for Hinchcliffe and Hunter A to try to keep their seats for next year. I think that's the big thing. I, I think it's only it. I think both of them are gone from Andretti. I think this is very much a tryout for for the final six races, including Nashville. And good on you, James Hinchcliffe, uh, first podium since 2019 Iowa. So it was a much needed positive result for both of them as they look for other opportunities next year finishing the year strong will go a long way towards their options for 2022 correct all right what's your third takeaway well my third takeaway is we have to debate jimmy johnson here (laughs) and you and i were going back and forth a little bit uh jimmy finishes 26th contact again but you know crashed the last couple minutes of what was the last couple minutes of qualifying did he crash up. in war- well no the day before he crashed oh yeah as well then crashed in warm up and this was the first event of the season where Jimmy Johnson was on as level of a playing field as he's going to get comparatively to everybody else because nobody had raced this circuit before outside of a sim but actual on track he was the same as everybody else and once again just had trouble all weekend couldn't keep it out of the wall i know we mentioned other guys that had trouble but inopportune moments and putting it in the wall i mean the warm-up you can't do that i don't care how much or lack of experience you have or speed you cannot put the car in the wall 
in the warm-up, especially that bad. So uh, you mentioned to me your litmus test for Jimmy Johnson is coming up, IMS, because he's already raced there once. Mine was Nashville. He's got a clean slate comparatively to everybody else. He failed that test for me, and it's, it's growing ever more difficult to watch, in all honesty. I feel for Jimmy Johnson. I like Jimmy Johnson. I mean, he admits after he goes out that he didn't know, didn't really understand the rules in terms of working on the car under red. Not, I mean, it's just, it's not a good look at all. And every event, it seems like it's just not getting any better. Again, I'm giving him a pass for a straight race. It's just an impossible situation for a driver because he can't test. I understand that everyone's on an equal playing field, but he's still not. I mean, experience wise, let's be real. Well, neither is Cody Ware. True. However, with Johnson again this weekend at IMS, to me, that is the true benchmark test. Lap times are not that far off. And I think that was a concern early on, and we saw in testing how much he closed the gap as far as lap times go with everyone else and closed the gap in preseason testing, and then how much ground he's made up during race weekends as far as his practice times qualifying to warm up. Well, well take but, away speeds for a minute, mm-hmm. okay, and making him speeds. Can he handle an IndyCar at this point because he continues to wreck? I don't care if he's if he's P1 on the on the charts. We can talk Tomas Schechter here <laughs> and say, you know, he's not a good IndyCar driver. I don't care how fast he is because he can't not crash. So even if Jimmy Johnson was showing some semblance of speed, which, again, he's towards the bottom of every session everywhere— he still is costing his team way too much money. I know that Carvana money is going to keep coming. I get it. But frustration and cash is like at the very least, he keeps talking about just putting laps in. Okay, then just go around and get laps in. Uh, be Cody Ware and get black flagged or something. Uh, don't crash on the warm-up lap. I mean, these are things that like it, it's it's inexcusable at this point. I don't care if you have speed or not. Don't crash the car. And twice he just wrecked it over the weekend. And so I question whether he just has the skill set to drive an open wheel race car at this point. I think with this weekend, there's more runoff area. There's more opportunity. He's raced at the track before. What is this? The This will be the second race. Then, yes. Right. Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking, oh, this it is feels the third. like the sixth or seventh yeah. race that I am as this year. So he <sighs> has an opportunity and I'm not saying he's going to qualify top 15, but I'm saying, could he qualify top 20? I mean, this is a huge field with other inexperienced drivers who are, are getting some time. Big field of 28 cars. He has an opportunity, but your point is valid. He's got to finish the races. He got he's got to not crash the car, stay consistent and again, I will withhold anything now this this coming weekend. That, to me, is my true benchmark. And and I, I've said that since the start of the season, have I not? I mean, yes. that, that second IMS road course race is critical because he has raced there. He's tested there multiple times. He's tested at Portland, which comes up. Laguna Seca, I think he's also tested at, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, he's not tested at Long Beach. But, you know, when you look at the races after IMS... He won't be competing at Gateway. You know, he at least has some familiarity with two of the three remaining races he has on his schedule after this weekend. To me, that is the benchmark IMS road course race two. 
and we'll see. So I'm just withholding anything until then. And look, we expect him to be full-time next year. That'll help a lot as well. Stay tuned for next week's excuses from Caleb Patch. <laughs> but by no means, look, it's benefited IndyCar tremendously for Jimmy Johnson to be in the series. These ratings we're seeing, they're because of Jimmy Johnson. They're because of Romain Grosjean. They're because of other things. But Jimmy Johnson is a big part of what we're seeing ratings-wise each and every week. So he has been a boon to the sport. It's just it's it's kind of like you know Brett Favre playing for the Jets type thing. You know it's it's uh, not the Vikings. It's or or the Vikings. Well, but, you the know, first the year with even. the Vikings went well. But the yeah. second year did not. But uh, you know it's it's just that that great athlete that's still trying to hold on. And is it souring his legacy type thing? I don't know the answer to that. It's just it, it it's cringeworthy at times, and Nashville was definitely cringeworthy. A lot of people with Jimmy Johnson and Roman Grosjean stuff over the weekend, gear, diecasts, all of it. Not that that not that that is surprising. I mean, that's no, expecting you go to any race and you see a lot of their stuff everywhere. Okay, so those are our, our takeaways. Obviously, a bonus takeaway. For both of us, and this gets to to notes and, and other random tidbits from the race, we can't not talk about the TV rating. 1.212 million viewers for the race, believed to be the biggest viewership for an IndyCar race on cable since 1998, and that was a kart race, I believe. I'm not sure what specific race. I haven't seen that report. Uh, so a massive number, and again, did we not say that IndyCar could put together a pretty good number for the Nashville race with NASCAR's a lead-in plus the Olympics wrapping up? This was a possibility. However, I don't think we predicted it would be 1.2 million viewers. I thought maybe they could, you know, 900,000, maybe get lucky and get a million. But this is far and away an unbelievable number for IndyCar considering it's a cable rating and not a network rating. My question is, what race was that in 98? Like, I've scanned the 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 season, and it was like 2.2 million. Like, it was a crazy rating. I, I don't know what race it was, but I'm fascinating to know. But anyway, going back to this, it, it's phenomenal. And we had a good indicator that it was going to be a healthy rating when we heard out of Nashville that the rating for IndyCar in the metro area was higher, almost two full points higher than it was for the cup race at Nash was a Nashville super speedway. Is that where they raced? Yeah. At the fairgrounds. And that was on NBC. That race was on regular NBC. So we had, it was a little bit of an indicator that this could be a big number, but I think it, it shocked even the most uh, optimistic of fan that IndyCar was able to get that number. And it's just a further indicator that this series is going in the right direction. That's when it comes back to, was this event a success? Does the racing need some work? Yes, but I'm putting that largely on the drivers. But you had a huge crowd, a huge TV rating. That, to me, makes the event a 10, in my opinion. I've watched many a good race in IndyCar with nobody in attendance. I would sign up for one of those races every single day considering how many people watched, how many people attended. Yeah, and again, I can't find the answer on the race. I, it may have been the season finale, 98 Cart FedEx Championship Series. Uh, which was Fontana, at, I think. Fontana, yeah, the Marlboro 500. 
It may have been that, but I'm not 100% sure. That's my guess. But again, I I don't know because I don't know if that was on. You're saying it wasn't the US 500? No. It may have been, though. Actually, that may have been it. Yeah. It's one of those two races. I think you're right. I think it may have been Michigan. Again, I'm trying to, to look this up as we go. Can't find the answer. But it was a cable race, so it was not on ABC or CBS or NBC. I think they were would have been only ABC back then. But it was an ESPN or ESPN2 race. I would assume ESPN. But, again, not sure. But it's somewhere in the 98-card season. So you talked about markets. So... Nashville, so top five markets, Nashville number one, not that it's a surprise, a 5-6, 2.6 for Indy Knoxville, 2.0, Greenville Spartanburg, 1.7, which, again, they always get big ratings for IndyCar for some random reason. Yeah. And then also tied Louisville with the same number uh, as well. And then you, you dive into it more. Best IndyCar cable rating came at mid-Ohio in 16 before that. For NBCSN, 934,000. If I'm not mistaken, that race was essentially tape delayed. It aired live on CNBC and then was played after the NASCAR race. Is okay. Correct? I think so, yeah. Um, and that was played at like 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or something in the evening uh, because of a NASCAR conflict. So, and that was a replay, I think. But again, they can count that because it, you know, that's the actual provider. Also, for IndyCar, Nathan Brown says uh, IndyCar, that's up more than 180% of the cable averages from 2020 and 19. So 432,000, 423,000, respectively, for 20 and 19. And also, you look at top rated races for IndyCar, obviously, Indy 500 number one, but Nashville comes in at number four. It's ahead of the GMR GP, which is at number five on NBC, Barber at number six on NBC. And Detroit on NBC. So Detroit 2, not included on that because of the the channel switch. But, I mean, these are just phenomenal numbers that we can't ignore. And and it's good stuff. They're up 110% versus 2020, 92% versus 2019 as far as NBC numbers. I mean, that's massive. And we already have this great TV deal coming for next year. So this is just more momentum for teams to sell to sponsors and for series stakeholders. Uh, it's just a huge deal. And this pointed out by Nate Ryan, dare I say it, but the inaugural Music City GP in Nashville officially outdrew that little F1 race in Monaco this year. Oh, how about that? <laughs> how about that? I have break, not on breaking news, but I thought I found which, I don't know why this is, bothering me the 1998 race i think it was surfers paradise really so the the races in 1998 uh cart races that were on espn were as follows the us 500 was on abc um so long beach nazareth uh milwaukee no wait road america sorry uh, Portland, Vancouver, Surfers Paradise, and Fontana, and Laguna Seca. So which of those races, it's got to be the, one of the last two. So the the uh, the race drew 2.2. 2.1 million, the rate, rating was a 2.2. Oh, no, no, no. So as far as the draw, though, for that cart race, it was... 2.218 million on ESPN. But again, the specific race is not 
mentioned in this article in the Indie Star by Nathan Brown. Yeah, it's and just I think a it's because race. He, he simply can't. We can't find it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a race. I'm amazed that you can find the number, but not the race. Correct. It's just the the internet is a fickle place at sometimes. But in 1996, Surfers Paradise got a two had 2.1 million households watching. So not saying that's indicative of future. But it's similar to what that rating was from 98. Now, the Long Beach race had a great rating, too, in 96. So, short answer, I have no idea what it is. But it's fascinating that nobody knows. Yeah, it it really is. And, you know, you're looking at some of these ratings and like like it's nowhere listed on an old forum, which usually that's where you can find stuff like this. Yeah. Still can't find it on any of those. It's just it's not not visible anywhere. So if it's anyone knows the answer, please let please us know. Let us know. IndyCar Podcast, the handle on Twitter, Facebook, just uh, search for New Track Record or New Track Record Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know because we're very curious. Very curious. You know, this is another angle, too, because what what happened a month ago after, you know, we entered the Olympics break and we 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 lost Toronto is, oh, IndyCar with all this momentum, they're going away. They're going to lose everybody. Now, we'll see what happens in the next two, three, four, five races with the ratings, but at least through one run race, that was fake news. They didn't lose a lot of people, if any. In fact, they look like they gained. And granted, a premier event like Nashville helped bring people in, but this whole narrative that IndyCar was going to lose all its momentum with its TV rating because it was going away for a month was proven false. Well, you look at the heavy promotion that NBC and NBCSN did for the Nashville race. They did it for the Nashville race for NASCAR as well, and they did the same for IndyCar. You look at the new IndyCar TV deal, the video game announcement. You have Hunkos coming back, and they cited Roger Penske you know, buying the series and, and IMS as a key reason for their confidence in the future of the sport. I mean, you you had a lot of news that happened in that month break that I think showed there's a lot of momentum, and then we saw it on display on Sunday. It's a lot of positivity, for sure. And now I think the schedule lays out well for IndyCar, is now you have, counting Nashville, six races in, what, eight weeks Mm -hmm. to end the season? So when we talk about momentum, and people put a lot into that, you can't race and then go away for three weeks. We're going to have successive races, triple header, a couple weeks off, another triple header to end the season. So this is a chance for IndyCar to gain momentum and finish strong. And I know people say, oh, yeah, how can you end the season before October? I think this is a great stretch then to keep people engaged each and every week as you head into Long Beach and to crown a champion. All right. Uh, let's see. Trying to... See if there are really any other key takeaways. Ah, the the water on the course that came from you spilling sweets, a drink. No sweets in the area that was laps forty one to fifty one. So See, that, I, that's the that's according to Nathan Brown of, of the Star. I thought it was like uh, like from in the, the tires. tires. Yeah, like Same. like rainwater had got in the tires. But yeah, the more I saw, it was like it was something from outside the track. So you know, it happens. You spill a beer, it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> All right, so I think that covers. Nashville, the race, other big announcement over the weekend, Aaron McLaren SP, uh, they have bought a 75% stake now in the team. This is not a surprise. This has been rumored for a while. Uh, But also, they 
plan to return with Felix Rosenquist and Pato Award next year and potentially a third car, but that depends if they believe their first two cars are championship level, which Felix Rosenquist also failed to mention him. He had a great rebound race, outqualified his teammate with strong all day and finished in the top 10, so a big bounce back from him. And then they'd add a third car only if they believe that that third car could be you know, a, a true championship contender. Um, also, Zach Brown of McLaren on Ricardo or Norris running the Indy 500 says they both like to do it, but they are very focused on F1. I think it's exciting. F1 Paddock really enjoys IndyCar. I think that's something that's very unique. Nothing in the immediate future, but we will see. So essentially, maybe that could happen eventually, but not not part of the plan right now. Again, they want to run another car in 23, possibly in 22, if we can find the right combination. What do you feel is the apex that McLaren wants to get in terms of full-time entries in the series? Is it three? Is it four? Three to four. Yeah. I feel it's a four. I, th- I think they want to get to a four-car team eventually. Now, they're not going to you know, sprint to get there. They're going to do it you know, calculated and, and not do it if they can't handle it. But I think four is that number. I think McLaren really wants to get to four. And it's it's a great move, and I think a great move, to be honest, for, for Rick Peterson and especially Sam Schmidt. I mean, Sam Schmidt getting up there in age and, you know, the stress for anybody to run a race team can be incredible. And I think, you know, for Sam, too, everything's a little bit more difficult for Sam because of the position he's in. I think he's deserved after being so good for this series and, you know, the road to Indy even for so long is I think it's almost like it'll be a breath of fresh air for him in terms of not having to be involved as the majority partner. He can maybe enjoy it a little bit, step back, and and get a fresh perspective on things. And I wouldn't be surprised if within a couple of years he doesn't have any stake in that team. A couple of closing notes on Nashville. This is from Chad 200. Colton Herta on the pole in Nashville. The last two new IndyCar sanctioned races were won by Herta in 2019 at Coda and Laguna Seca. Well, not so much for this one. Also, um, Will Power had a broken right wrist that was pretty much healed. That happened at Mid-Ohio. And Ed Jones, still not 100% after testing positive for COVID-19 right after Mid-Ohio. But he had a big result uh, for him, I believe, a sixth-place finish. Yeah, big result season best. For Ed Jones. So with that... Again, you can interact with us. We want to know your thoughts on Nashville. Are, are we right? Are we wrong? Please let us know. Our Twitter handle, again, IndyCar Podcast. Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. Or you can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. You can find episodes and more info, New Track Record Podcast at gmail. Wow, that's the email address. NewTrackRecordPodcast.com <laughs> is the web address. While you're there, subscribe to our email list so you never miss an episode. Also, be sure to check out the store as well and find us on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you follow your podcasts for free and check us out on there. Okay, time for the mailbag, Justin. And of course, it is a doozy. Bursting at the seams. An absolute doozy. In fact, so much so that we've we've had to cut quite a bit out. Had to trim for time. Yes. Because I don't think we can uh, answer every question. This was a Pocono level of interaction, social media kind of episode. It was very much welcomed. I mean, everybody has an opinion on how last weekend went. That is true. And I thought it went pretty well. I, I, 
again from you watching it. I, I don't know if you felt that way, but that's well. I texted I you during the successive yellow, yellow, red, and it was like, okay, this is just kind of getting ridiculous. But it was in the moment, and it was kind of getting frustrating. But when you take a big picture look at the event and look at the circumstances for some of those green or some of those caution flags and, and red flags, I admittedly changed my opinion on it. So this was before the race from Coach Underscore Eckert. I have a feeling that the Music City GP is going to be a disaster. That course is too narrow and has far too many ninety degree turns for any car. It's going to stack up and string out quickly, and passing lap cars will be difficult. Well, the 90-degree turns cause a problem, but as far as passing lap cars being difficult, I'd actually disagree. I was surprised. That really was not much of an issue for these drivers. We didn't see an on-track pass for the lead, but also we knew it was capable with how, at least with Herta, how he was able to just go through the field after he fell back in the second half. I agree. I thought it was a little, it was more racy than I expected it to be, particularly mm-hmm. with some of those uh, sequences of turns. I think there's can be adjustments to be made to make it racier, like I mentioned earlier, but it could have been a heck of a lot worse, I feel. So, you know, I th- uh, look, Tony Cotman is no rookie in terms of designing road courses. I mean, the guy, he's designed some pretty big street courses over his career. So I think he knows what he's doing a little bit. I think he presented a course that was going to be a humongous challenge to drivers. And quite frankly, I feel the drivers failed that test, not the track. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. This from Jeremy from HBG. Hey, IndyCar Podcast, what's the over-under on the word horse bleep being used in this week's show? <laughs> <laughs> he thinks we we're going to dog it, or at no. least one person was going to dog it. You know, I'm the glass half-empty person, and even I'm on board with Nashville. But, you know, we we I sent you a couple of betting lines, you know, casually and said over-under five-and-a-half cautions <laughs> in the race, and you took the under, you felt it would be five, but I could have made it eight-and-a-half, and you would have been wrong. <laughs> yeah, not even close. Uh, Coach underscore Eckert also tweeting... Who cares? This course was doomed from the start. Any car is not lawnmower racing. The the opinions are all Have you over. Watch lawnmower racing though. It's pretty boring. No, I think it was exciting to, at at times. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't watch it for two and a half hours, but you know, show me a solid three and a half minutes of lawnmower racing. I'm in. This from Poet Shevchenko, who, by the way, I got to meet over the weekend. Nice guy, Sato fan. And we chatted for a little bit in, in the grandstand on Sunday during one of the multiple red flags. So, again, shout out. Thanks for saying hi. And if you're at IMS this weekend, feel free to come up and say hi. I'll probably be wearing a, a black Wix Filters hat that we got courtesy of Sage Karam because it's a great hat. It really yeah, is. That's I love my mine. go-to uh, race racetrack hat. So uh, if you see me, say hi. Feel free. I'll just uh, be there with one of my friends. So buy him a drink, should folks. Be a fun time. <laughs> I'll I'll take any free bribes. Buy him a Foster's oil can at IMS. <laughs> do they they don't have those anymore out there, right? Uh, last I was there, but it was in the infield. But do those even like still exist? The only place I've seen them in the last five years is IMS. So probably not. No, I I, I bet they still have them. Somebody find out for me this week. I would Somebody be surprised. take a picture of a Foster's oil can with the pagoda in the distance. That's all I want from people <laughs> this weekend. Uh, so, so Poet Shevchenko tweeting and uh, said, can someone let Will Power know he just signed a new contract with Penske, not with Ganassi or Andretti? 
I mean, it's a great point. I can't believe we didn't talk about this more. I mean, he we talked about this off air. But, but power, I mean, he's essentially pressing. I mean, it, it's it's terrible. It, rule number one, don't take out your teammate. He did it twice. And rule number and two, don't own- take your teammate out again a different term. You have the same race. Yeah. And also, the quotes were interesting. I saw in, in Pruitt's, I think, recap on racer.com. The power only apologized to Scott, but didn't mention Simon. Did you catch that? I did not catch it until I read Marshall's column, Cooldown Lap, which is a phenomenal wrap-up. Look forward to it after each event. And I told you, Caleb, you know how power is racing. He's racing like a wanker (laughs) is how he's racing. And it goes back to, look, he can – he can – Dish it, can't take, you know, he can take it, he can't dish it out. Like, in terms, you know what I'm saying? In terms of if somebody does it to him, he's irate. If he does it to somebody, uh, my bad. Or he just doesn't even apologize, like Simon Pagino. Oh, my bad, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. Uh, You know, that's a great accent, by the way. That's a great accent. Was that actually good? That was pretty good. So, um, you know, it's. It's getting old. His shtick is old. I've been down this road before. I don't know, to be honest, why he was given an extension the way he's been racing. And it hasn't just been Nashville. The majority of this year has been subpar, and he's made some questionable decisions on track. And so last week it felt like the culmination of, yeah, okay, he's frustrated. Everybody was frustrated at Nashville, unless you're Marcus Erickson or from most of the weekend, Colton Herta. Right. I mean, it's just the lack of tact on track. The shtick is old. The fact that he blows a gasket on anybody else that screws him over. But when he does it to somebody else, it's supposed to be just shaken off and he's supposed to be forgiven. It's 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 an old it's it's gotten to be very old for me. I'm not saying he needs to go because I think it's great for the series in terms of maybe becoming that that villain. It's just it's ironic the fact that he has become the very thing that he for so long criticized others of being. He is a wanker. Will Power, you're racing like a wanker in 2021. <laughs> so Power was kind of the heel temporarily, like in, in that late 2000s, early 2010s with with Dario and even Hunter Ray in their championship battle. But largely, they haven't really had that guy. Ferrucci's kind of that guy. He was quiet, didn't really cause anything. First non-top 10 of the year in what could be his final race of the season with Ray Hall. But 11th place, I mean, he's had great results. I am kind of I don't understand why he's not just in that car the rest of the season. And I, I'm sure that's really just based on sponsorship for High V. But Powers aiming to be that heel you know we thought it's ferrucci could for some reason it be rossi which i never really bought into that uh but power's been that guy this year he absolutely has you know for for simon pagino to be seemingly be out of a ride and will power get a two-year extension a little puzzling to me comparatively to how they've been racing this year okay so (laughs) rate the race and we got a, a million responses let's first get to our Responses. What what would you go with, Justin? Rate the race. I said it was a 10 because of the atmosphere and the turnout and the TV rating. And quite frankly, it engaged the casual fan. I watched it with uh, my extended family, and I've mentioned it on, on the podcast before. They only watch the Indianapolis 500, and yet there they were watching this race. So I, I'm 
seriously giving it a 10. I know I, I grade harshly other races, but this was the inaugural, the first time event that we were all hoping it would be in many facets. And the fact that the drivers couldn't drive doesn't take it away from me. So I'm saying a 10. I'm almost tempted to bump my grade up. I was going to give it like a seven or seven and a half, and I consider an eight, but I'm just going to stick with my, my my seven and a half. So to me, I take away a point for no on-track passes for the lead and for just the stupid driving, and then a half point for a few minor logistical things. But, I mean, the racing to me was entertaining. Again, I said this before, I was never bored. Like, I never felt like... There was no action, that there was a big lull. I understand there were two red flags. But the, the fans were who were there were engaged and were interested and, from my experience, entertained in the race. Everyone kind of grumbled with that big backup that caused the, the first red flag, but also knew that that was a possibility with how tight the circuit was. So we got through that. The second half of the race, I mean, was excellent as far as the on-track action. Definitely. I felt so, like it was a lot better event than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Credit for. So, I mean, that, that boosts my grade. So, seven and a half. I'm tempted to give it an eight, but again, I also grade harshly. Probably not as harsh as you, but... No, it's shocking <laughs> for me to give a ten. People are probably mouth agape right now. I'm giving this event a ten. Can't wait till year two. People on, on Twitter thought... I think they thought that I was the one with some positive comments and it was really you. Yeah, they're, well, they're so <laughs> used to my negativity. Sometimes uh, I amaze even myself, Caleb. So all the replies on this, we have plenty. N.K. Harden, the race and overall event were a five. So tired of all the fans who want to crush everything about the race slash event. It was the first year. The product will only improve. The first kart race at Long Beach, Mario led every lap. The layout has also changed six or seven times since it was first introduced. The first St. Pete race had five caution periods. Belle Isle was tried three different times when IndyCar returned again in 2012. Dixon led every lap. The course came up in chunks, and the race was red flag for two hours to fix it. The race was shortened 30 laps. Uh, so they could fit it in. Parking was a nightmare, and as soon as the checkered was waved, it started pouring, so every fan got drenched. All of these street events worked things out and got better. They are all now staples of the series. Calm down, everyone, and have patience. Very well thought out. Relax, people. Relax. I, you know, the same people that want more ovals where nobody shows up seems to be crapping all over a less than perfect racing event with a crap ton of people there. This from Hunter's Way 67. I was there and I'll give the race a five and the organizers a zero. How Ouch. Do you, how do you not have the grandstands built before the weekend? Also, they never scanned my ticket all three days. I could have done the weekend for free. And then he responds with the restarts were a joke. They need to put them on the bridge next year. Transam was the only series to do that, and they put on the best race by far uh, this weekend. Yes, I would I would second moving the restart zone to coming off the bridge going into turn nine. I think they did the start there for the IndyCar race, but the restarts were not there. I think they move that to be the starting zone and restart zone, and I think that will be really helpful. Don't worry, folks. Changes will come. It's teething troubles and issues with a street course as a couple of our, our tweeters have already mentioned it's not rare for this to happen our cole says i will grade it on the first race of the track scale and give it a five could have been worse poet shevchenko this race was a meme <laughs> when i get a chance <laughs> to recharge my phone i'll give more thoughts uh, my score is a six 
I would have been a lot more negative if there was a lap one pileup, but they race clean too wide. That shows starting on the back straight leads to cleaner racing, and they should restart there to next year. I uh, heard it was a highlight with his charge late race and powered the low light by punting two of his teammates. I can tell there is good racing in this track, and with longer green flags, tire and fuel strategy can factor in two. The crowd was fantastic and really got emotional all race. Interesting. Even mixed things from people who attended. Uh, it, it, it is all very fascinating. Very interesting, yeah. All all around the gamut. So the exit polls from Nashville will be very varied, I'm sure. <laughs> Jeremy from HBG. First half or 60% of the race, a two. The rest of the race, seven. From what we heard from the weekend, organizers get a one. Uh, according to Stitch, said 404 error, cannot compute. WTF, did I just watch? <laughs> uh, Chucky WX, where does this bleep show fall on... Uh, this scale um i mean for me a bleep show is what we saw times two on the track and nobody there i think people are you know people are gonna say oh of course they're not gonna watch again because of what happened or they're not gonna go again i don't think so it sounds like the majority of people that went were favorable towards the event and i don't see that being much different for the tv viewers either this from G. Offerman. Eight could use a little widening and maybe move the start finish, but chaos is exciting slash compelling. Heard a lapping the field would not have been. Old timers will disagree, but that's okay. They're not the future. Ouch. <laughs> uh, Bill uh, Hesse, uh, not sure the, quote, race, end quote, could have been worse. I guess cars in the water is all we missed. The location event looked good from TV. Probably feel the same way Seb feels watching Erickson in victory lane. Ooh, hey, uh, real quick, take a drink throughout the weekend anytime they showed the divers or mentioned the divers <laughs> because you would not have made it through the weekend. And never really a concern. No. Of course not. And, you know, there is another, you know, I'm going off the, uh, for a tangent because that's why you're tuning in, folks. You didn't get it when we did the race review, but you're getting it now. If I tune in to practice one on Peacock and I'm told about the fact that Romain Grosjean's pit is at an angle and so you're going to roll a tire to show that he has to pit at an angle and then you're also going to show the view where people can stand on a little bit of a rise behind the fencing and see the cars and people are congregating there. And you're also going to talk about the divers and the, you know, the preparations they've made in case somebody goes into the water. If you're doing all that in practice one, find something else to talk about in practice two, because the same people that are watching practice one are watching practice two. So, NBC, come on, find another couple storylines or pit reporters. Use your imagination a little bit and find another topic to talk about. Whoever's to blame, it's frustrating because I've already been told those things. The same audience is watching practice one's watching practice two. It's not like you're talking about some things in practice two and then you're also mentioning them in the race. It's the same audience. Find something else to talk about. Tangent over. <laughs> I was going to say, in rant? Yes. <laughs> there it is. The rant of the week. From I Am Analog. Six, decent race. I expected more safety cars somehow. I'm a newer fan, and I never really noticed it somehow. But wow, is the app terrible? Minus two for the app. I think the app's great. Um, you like the app? I do like the app. I admittedly rarely use the app, except when I need to know times. So I use it at the, start. at the track all the time. Uh, Zach Hurley, 8771. I'll give it a five. The novelty and aesthetic of the setting gave it a lot of appeal. 
most of which it squandered with all the cautions and lack of pace. Battle near the end helped give it some action, but an anticlimactic ending brought it back down. Hopefully better next year. Um, FitJ1983 gave it a zero. Uh, he says, this covers the race, execution of the race by the drivers and race control, and the atrocious experience. Again, he, he all over the board. Stand six. Yeah, and for those people, I understand your complaints. No, I get it. Yeah, if you're in Grandstand 6, yes. But other than that, I think these are mere inconveniences, the things that you mentioned, Caleb, at the track and the circuit. I mean, a lot of these, quite frankly, people, are first-world problems. Yeah, and to me, the fact that it was fixed for Sunday, I'm giving them a pass. I mean, if I show up on Saturday for a a day full of, of track action and I don't have a seat... That I paid for, understandable, for sure. But if that wasn't you, then you're complaining about a lot of things that, in my opinion, aren't really that important. And I know you paid for a ticket and all that stuff, blah blah. Um, but in the end, you know, step back a little bit. First, first event. Not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to be worked out. They'll make adjustments for a year or two. It's just you know, kind of put things in perspective a little bit, folks. Also, to be fair. IndyCar fans know that on a practice or qualifying day, you can pretty much go sit wherever you want anyway. It's not like it's going to sell out. Yeah. They weren't checking your tickets as far as, you know, as you're walking up to your stand and making sure you're going into the correct grandstand. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a big deal for those two days, honestly. And I think the people who are so upset about this. Are people that like to complain? Well, not so much (laughs) that, but yes. But also people who went and just, you know, haven't been to an IndyCar race, so they don't understand it's not really a big deal that you don't have a reserve seat for Friday or Saturday. It's honestly irrelevant. A reserve seat for Sunday, however, that's very important. And they got that done. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Blazak1286 gave it a 5.5. 5. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jamin T14, I'd give it a 6, but I'd raise it to a 10 if we could watch the Pinsky driver debrief. Powers that friend you hate riding with who runs everyone off the road, but it's never his fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. NK hardened the race and overall event were a five. So tired of all the fans who want to crush everything about the race event. Uh, okay. Actually, I already read that one. My apologies. Um, let's see. There are so many of these that I can't even keep track of what is what and where. So let's see if I can make <laughs> sure. I-, a lot. I mean, it was good. Like my phone was going crazy over the weekend with uh, notifications from Twitter. It was great trying to make sure i didn't forget anyone and i'm sure i probably did and we'll just we'll come back come back to it here uh later on in the mailbag because again we have so much to get to so let's get to the the next element and you posted a poll initial thought of the inaugural music city gp 56 percent said need some work 25 percent solid for first time event 17 percent what a cluster two percent top street course already so on the replies vicky lynn 26 Definitely needs some work. With a few tweaks, it will be great. Arcole definitely needs some work. Not a full cluster, but came close several times. Transdotion Trojan. I voted cluster. It can be fixed, though. Don't know why they are so obsessed with walling the entire course off, but, and this isn't an original idea. I've seen others recommend it. They added curbs and took away some of the walls. The course would work a lot better, possibly. Not sure on that. I think that's kind of <laughs> kind of above me. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting perspective. Uh, this on your poll, which Music City GP driver's finishing position surprised you the most? 38% said Marcus Erickson in first, 34% Colton Herta, 19th, 
25%, James Hinchcliffe, 3rd, 3% Newgarden in 10th. On the responses here, Pelot Shevchenko, outside of the fact that Erickson was briefly the flying Swede, Hinch definitely <laughs> and Dreddy had a surprisingly good day, all things considered. Uh, Scuba Steve, 85. What really surprises me is that Scott Dixon has two teammates with more wins than him this season. We talked about that earlier. It's it's shocking. It's under the radar. And I think what else is under the radar, Alex Pillow had a very quiet weekend. He had the sixth-place grid penalty, qualified fast six, obviously was moved back, didn't have a great start, got caught up, I think, in that pileup, did he not, and yep. still ended up finishing in seventh. Is yep. that right? Yeah. And he now extended his lead from 39 points to 42. So... He's just kind of coasting right now, and I get that one bad race and everything could change, but for having a, a rough weekend to finish in seventh, I mean, that's how championships are won. Yeah, I agree. That's the master Scott Dixon. That's how he wins, maximizes the potential of the car when he doesn't have a one that can win a race. Daniel SEM 2004. Erickson, just because his car was 10 feet in the air in lap four, Hinch with great strategy, got it for Colton. He had the top car all weekend, crazy race all around. Um, let's see. Uh, Autosport Labs said Jones is an Ed Jones. And P. Gaynor, 14, without context, Hench, but Erickson was in the freaking air. <laughs> he was up there for quite a long time. Yes. And, uh, again, the fact that his car wasn't damaged. I mean, that's that's crazy. All right. This, this tweet and a lot of responses here. Some IndyCar fans add more ovals, even though nobody shows up. Some of those same IndyCar fans ditch Music City GP despite a crap ton of fans showing up with the hmm emoji. <laughs> Some people are never happy. True. And Gay Harden, just wait till the full ratings come out and the numbers are huge. A packed event, huge ratings, and most IndyCar fans will still only have complaints. Wow, that was foreshadowing. <laughs> the ratings were huge. <laughs> they were, they were. It was great. Polish Shevchenko, be loved or be hated, apathy is death. <laughs> Yes. Zach Curley, 8771. I figured out a solution to make everyone happy. Street Oval. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, add a figure eight, and then you got something. Yes. Scuba Steve, 85. I may be remembering wrong, but I seem to remember there was talk in the pre-road course IRL days, 2000-ish, the IRL stealing Cleveland from cart and making it a flat oval. Uh, that is correct. They tried to do that, and I think there was talk of that as late as, what, 2008 or nine. With uh, reunification, if I'm not mistaken, I do remember these discussions. That definitely happened. Uh, C. Dramel, I enjoy the dual ownership of this account with current tweet author easily identifiable by either the glass half full or glass half empty slant with no in between. Uh, so you think. So you think. Uh, I think you got that one mixed up there. Uh, yeah. Transocean Trojan, the course was a cluster, but I think the more important thing was the fan turnout, to be honest. If you have a passionate, excited crowd at the race, it really makes for a better spectacle. And Jfleur 370 it's my impression that putting starters in the cars would have prevented at least three yellows. I was hooked on the train wreck despite saying, come on, multiple times. It needs polish, but the event was an event, and Colton Herta is a wheelman. The onboard starters, and I know someone brought that up in the return of Robin Miller's mailbag on Racer.com this week. I think I recall reading something somewhere that that will be part of the new engine package. Now, I'm not 100%, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that was something they're considering. And if so, what, half, if not three-quarters of all those cautions would have been wiped out? Yeah. 
I would agree. I mean, we, we hear so much about how difficult it is to get a starter on these cars. Like, is It's 2021. How difficult is it? Real, like, get a freaking starter on these cars at this point. If you're going to finally adopt uh, Kurz technology that yeah, F1's had since 2000, power 2009 starter? or 2008, I mean, you'd think they could get an onboard starter. But, but whatever. Um, let's see. Okay, this tweet, which really went viral, at least for our standards on this humble account. Dear IndyCar fans, the most popular slash attended events on your calendar aren't always the most exciting or have the best on-track racing. Sincerely, the Monaco Grand Prix. A lot of comments on this. Uh, F1 needs the willpower to stir up Monaco from Jamin T14. Tyler underscore Allen. There's a difference between a boring race and an embarrassing demolition derby with extremely long cautions. I thought the racing, once they got it sorted, was pretty good. Uh, let's see. Nichardson Roa, but it was still better than Monaco. <laughs> True. Monaco yeah. was a complete bore this year, minus Mercedes just by having Monaco a standards even. complete cluster early on in the race, and that was the end of the intrigue. Uh, let's see. Ua Bakker. I can't imagine that there aren't other layout options available. Learn and move on to next year, and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, the real Jesus 69. <laughs> Spelled with a G. Uh, the difference is the Monaco Grand Prix is a historic event, and the track was designed around older, smaller cars. The National Grand Prix circuit was very poorly thought out. The design allows nearly no passing opportunities at all. And 5TIG underscore replied, the track was never designed around any car. It's a bleeping street course. <laughs> as far as a race car, obviously the track was designed around street cars because, well, that's how that works. Uh, let's see this from Tom Ace, the lawyer I found yesterday entertaining, just needed a few more green laps, but it was intriguing again, a mixture of comments all over the board on that. Let's see this from Bingles DFW. Seriously, the old what about argument that was flatly embarrassing. Everyone knows it except the insiders and their journalistic shills trying to spend something good out of it. Again, we disagree. I, the TV rating disagrees. Uh, yeah, everything disagrees. The I crowd, mean, assuming there's a decent crowd next year, which I, I think there will be. Yeah, I think I don't think the crowd's going away anytime soon. Like plenty of people tuned in. I don't know of anybody, and maybe you know of somebody, Caleb, but tuned in and said, "Oh, this is a mess. I'm not tuning in next week or next year." I don't know anybody. If people are listening that know somebody, give us an example. So I think it was just the frustrations of the race. And look, I understand it in the moment, but take a step back and look at the event as a whole and the amount of satisfied customers that experienced a darn good weekend and a lot of people that tuned in. So look big picture here. Step back a little bit. I understand the frustration, but at the same time, I think it went pretty well considering a first time event. Brutally hot, but again, that's expected Nashville in early August. That was the downside, but I was prepared for that. SBF 50, it, that stuff works. Absolutely. Uh, Darren <laughs> underscore Smith 67. So you're saying Monaco is a more exciting, uh, is more exciting than the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What are you saying? No, we're not saying that. It's that, I mean, think about it. Long Beach is never that entertaining, and it's a huge draw. Absolutely. I mean, they, they, they draw, they'll probably draw 50,000 plus on race day, assuming. Everything stays, you know, good and we're 
full attendance, all of that, and I don't want to get into that mess right now. But <laughs> that is the expectation. I mean, Long Beach draws fifty to fifty five thousand, you know, almost every year. I mean, that's a standard amount. Uh ten Ian MC ten, it could be a great circuit with modifications. And again, I think they will get to that. Um let's see what else we have. This from Jamin T fourteen. Just check the fantasy standings. I owe you some money because I'm our Dalton Kelly and obviously bought my ride. <laughs> That's great. I can't even like access our team. I I for some reason on the fantasy app it took away our league, so I don't know where I stand. I made picks, but I can't find my picks for our league. I found them for like a an old league and a, a different league. I admittedly have not been on in over a month, so I, I don't know what the hell's going on. So we'll see if I can even, you know, access who's doing what. Uh, let's see. This from from the ratings. Uh, N.K. Harden. Come on, haters. Where are you at? I know there are a bunch of you out there. Show yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Show po- yourselves, you cowards. <laughs> exactly. Poet Shevchenko. We started the season saying that getting one million viewers on network TV would be good. Now we can do that on cable. Facts. It's been done. I mean, it's just, it's incredible to think about the progress made just this year. Uh, On your tweet, not that bad for an embarrassment, in quotes, of a race, eh? Uh, Indie Oreo, perhaps they watched because they heard it was an embarrassment with a hmm emoji. (laughs) Uh, TD Appel, absolutely, everybody loves the train wreck. I'm sure people see tweets about everybody crashing in Azerbaijan and they tune in. The every week race fans were saddened, but IndyCar needs the casuals and get them to come back for more. And Indy Oreo replied, looked like a very successful first year event that just needs more elements of a traditional car race. Agreed with that completely. And let's see, I, I got to find the the tweet I really enjoyed because it was just a picture. If I can find that. Someone tweeted a picture that was just of the Nashville street circuit in like one of the tight sections. Yeah. And the Baku castle on the left. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. It was perfect because it, it looked almost seamless. It was, yes, very, very accurate. So whoever tweeted that, apologize. It's not showing up on the timeline. So, but really, really, really good stuff. And I'm sure I missed some tweets. In fact, yeah, here we go. Uh, Vin Designs 2013. Not every race can be a barn burner. It's no different than going to an NFL game and seeing your team get blown out. It's true. Uh, Daniel SEM, uh, 2004 on the rating. Give it a six. Tough design and drivers who didn't know how to race it need to move restarts to the bridge and fix the pit road blend. Again, fixable problems. Yeah, all fixable, which is the big thing. Like, everybody's complaining about how disaster it was. Whether you think it was or not, it's all fixable. More rate the race. Joseph underscore bear eight. Now have IndyCar's version of a restrictor plate race. <laughs> uh, Sig Domer four, but so much potential. Need to widen some spots and solve problems. Uh, a Drew D gave it a point five. Yikes. Jeez. Uh, C Clinkin. I think it's overall a nine point five. Went off without a hitch. Absolutely awesome turnout and a pretty entertaining and chaotic question mark race. The course has some quirks and bumps that need worked out, but for a new event, I think it was a home run. You know, that's a good point to put it because you can't just rate the race on, you know, the race on the track. How was the event? And the event was obviously stellar. I mean, that was not the issue. Yes, I know there were some teething issues, I think is the way someone put it, but that's to be expected 
in year one of a street circuit. But overall, they'll figure this stuff out. I, I don't think I'm that concerned. Yeah, I, I I imagine already a fair amount of these have already been talked about. Maybe a few have even been solved already for next year. Uh, this is from DC Soda. Had we gotten the ending we all deserve, which was her to bombing through the field and passing the dude who took out another guy in lap one and be an eight as it stands a four. And one other note uh, from Transocean Trojan. Could tell the track was going to be a mess in practice quality. The driver showed so much skill navigating the joke of a track. But yeah, it was a disaster. I may have enjoyed the race more because I recorded it and skipped all the yellows. Six, only because the excitement Herta brought. Okay, I think I think that is everyone on, all over on the, the mailbox. Place. Yes. Which so, is fine. Plenty to get it's to. Fine. And as always, you can tweet us, email us, or send us a Facebook message. Uh, you can even snail mail us, I, I guess. 2915 Maples Road, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 46816, right? I think that's the address. Sure, why not? <laughs> send <laughs> if you it want to send the letter, I mean, feel free to do that as well. So that, that wraps up a very, very full mailbag. All right, time for news and notes. And, of course, that means silly season. And we have some more news. We, we talked about McLaren. We talked about... The you know possibility of a third car, but what about you know other situations? So a couple of notes from Robin's mailbag, which returned this week, which was exciting. Hey, welcome back, Robin. Uh, Robin says, "I'm saying Pagano is joining Meyer Shank Racing is the only other full time driver with Elio in 2022. Sato will be at Indy in a third car." He says, I think Grosjean is in demand. It seems like it's too early for Penske to pull the trigger, which means RP has already signed somebody. But I'm not convinced Penske wants to run four full-time cars. So this is a, we've heard Pagano to Meyer Shang. In fact, Marshall Pruitt has that in his latest Silly Season update. And also, David Mulcher Lopez at Motorsport.com has a good write-up on Simon Pagano. And, you know, Simon can't really talk, you know, in, in the interview there. He said, you know, I, I can't really share details, but Mike Shanks said that Simon is in the top five people are talking to, no question about it, and even said that's what he heard over the weekend, that Simon was going to Meyer Shank. Not a done deal, supposedly, but good stuff there. And also Robin had in his mailbag, and this was new, so Robin later on says, Pagano to Meyer Shank Racing and RHR likely to IMSA. I understand DHL is out. Just that dropping a, a bomb in the middle of the yeah. mailbag. And, and the other thing on RHR, so in, in Pruitt's Silly Season update, it just came out, uh, Marshall says, with the rumor I heard about Ryan Hunter Ray being in the frame for the road and street courses with Ed Carpenter Racing and the number 20 Chevy is where I'd like to close. I didn't recall this, but RHR supposedly tested with ECR in 2013. So I did not know that. I find that interesting because that would have been the season after he won a championship. Yeah, that was a little weird. I don't remember it either. Not saying it didn't happen. Just very bizarre. Now, maybe it was just leverage, but I mean, how would he have tested? You know, I guess I don't understand how that would have worked because. Wouldn't he have still been under contract? You would think. Help us understand (laughs) what's going on. Help me. Help you. (laughs) So if he ran, you know, Robin says he's going to IMSA, and I would assume that would mean an Indy 500 ride, whereas Marshall says it's an option for him to go to ECR. 
in the road and street course car, and then VK would be full time, and then RHR and, and Ed in the in the twenty. I mean, that is very interesting to me as a possibility because we've thought, you know, Hunter Ray is either going to get a handful of races with Andretti but not be full-time. He's going to get, you know, a, a limited ride deal with Meyer Shank, maybe full-time, but probably not. You know, is the Dale Coyne racing an option? Because Dale Coyne is even quoted saying, you know, we're looking at options. But this is, I think this is a different possibility that would make more sense because it's not like Hunter Ray's bringing a lot of funding and DHL. I mean, that's an Andretti sponsor. Yes, they like Ryan, but that's an Andretti sponsor. First and foremost, if they go away, he doesn't have a full-time ride at Andretti regardless of his performance down the stretch. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal for all involved if DHL goes away. So a lot of options for, for RHR. We'll see where he goes, but it sounds like at least he's going to have, Options, which it's kind of all you hope for if you're a driver, especially one at the end of his career. I mean, you just hope to have options, definitely, and still be wanted, no doubt. Let's see what what else did we miss as far as ah yes, what you got? Formula Two driver Marcus Armstrong was at Nashville, so there's a name to keep in mind. Also, Christian Lundgaard, who tested with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing during the uh, break along with Oliver Askew at Barber Motorsports Park and he's running this weekend for the big machine spiked coolers yes GP there I got the name job. Uh, doesn't get any easier does it week to no week. It, it does not so but I think the big name to keep in mind and we've seen this mentioned out there but not really heard anything this is from Marshall Pruitt I've learned a former Red Bull Formula One driver Alex Albon who he mentioned is a talent of interest in the last two Racer Silly Season articles, is inbound for Indianapolis and will be on site for the Combo NASCAR IndyCar Road Course event in a few days. Intrepid fans might keep an eye out for a lanky England-born tie, entering and exiting a few motor coaches and transporters in the paddock. Hmm. That is another that? name to keep in mind. Now, That's what, exciting. What team would you think would be in mind? I mean, Andretti, is that is that the team? Uh, is coin coin that's what i'm saying replace one d1 or f1 guy with another huh could be more notes on lungard from nathan brown uh, i think the dream and the target remain the same that's f1 i think this is a good opportunity to explore and if it goes well yes any car is an opportunity for myself but the dream is always to race in f1 so i guess i guess to me i'm not understanding and i it's got to be a money thing i'm not understanding why Ray Hall's not running Ferrucci again. He's been solid. Has to he, be. He but his, then again, High V was like so excited, right? So is High V not bringing all of the money for that car and somebody else has to bring additional? Well, I think they've been adding to the budget for this year, but they're trying to save money for the full time deal. Uh, next potentially, year. yeah. I guess that makes sense. So those are kind of the, the key silly season things. Anything else that we missed on that? I don't think so. It wasn't a huge update, but it at least gave us a little bit of direction coming out of Nashville. We said last week, you know, there'd be some some talk with with uh, you know first race in a month. Definitely was, but I don't think we have any more clarity than we had going into the weekend. The the other thing, and this is from Motorsport dot com, the Andretti rumors are strong for Roman Grosjean. In fact, a lot of people saying it's nearly a done deal. Uh, Marshall said that. 
This from David Molsher Lopez of Motorsport. Uh, Dale Coyne still in talks with Grosjean, so they're still discussing things, trying to find a way to make it work. Again, the rumors that Grosjean will slot into the 28 car at Andretti Autosport. Um, but it seems like, I don't know, we'll see. The fact that they're still in discussions there, supposedly, I mean, they, they have something good there. Now, his engineer, Olivier Boisson, who's also French, which it's weird with Grosjean because they announced him as from Geneva, Switzerland, because yeah. I, I think he was, he was, he's never lived in France. Did you know that? I did not know that. Like he's never, li- he, his mother, I think, is French nationality. And so, yes, that is how that ties in. But I don't think he's ever lived in France. No, I mean, his dad was Swiss or is Swiss. I think. So, so the whole thing is just bizarre. It, it's but, weird. Do you speak? Do they speak French in Switzerland? I don't know. Well, you got to remember, most Europeans can speak like five or six languages. True. I mean, that's common. They can speak that's English, true. you know, German or French or Spanish, you know, throwing a few others. Yeah, there's so much more. Uh, we get it. You, you guys are just better so than cool. us. <laughs> you don't have to rub it in. <laughs> it's tough for us to learn English over here. Yeah. I can barely speak English. Yeah, we got plenty of people over here who can't speak proper English. You're over there speaking multiple languages. <laughs> so, again, may not be completely out of it as far as returning to coin. I, I'd be surprised, though, honestly. I, I mean, unless they I, mean, I think coin is going through the motions. Yeah, you know, the, what are they supposed to do? Just say, okay, you're gone. Bye-bye. They're going to put the effort in. You never know. So they could have a sponsor step up tomorrow and say, here, here's $5 million to keep Roman Grosjean. So they're going to do their due diligence, but in the end, money wins out. He goes to Andretti. This from Nathan Brown. Beth Peretta and Preto Autosport no longer eyeing any more IndyCar races in 21, but the team is hard at work, things pointing in the right direction for at least a partial season 22 program. That's something we've been wondering for a while. So we have an answer. Yes, and it's good news that the plan at least is to do more races next year. What would you think? You know, three? Three to five. Five? Okay. I think that's a, a fair amount. Same driver? Uh, depends on her schedule and availability. All right. So, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. I, I'm I not do sure. know that she was in Nashville, Beth Peretta. Yes, I saw her. Did you? I did. Stalker. I was just walking around. I saw her. And you asked her, does she think that Tony Kanan is a legend? No, I did not. <laughs> I did meet the legend. You did. How about that? That was that was fun. Okay, so that's everything with <laughs> Silly Season. Again, a lot of rumors, but not really anything that juicy besides Alex Albon going to be an IMS this weekend. I guess to me that's the juicy tidbit. Yeah, I tried to pace myself once I saw the – Silly season update from Marshall posted today, but really weren't that many bombshells other than, uh, but, you know, which we saw in his cooldown lap, the fact that Alex Albon's in town this weekend. I think that's the biggest thing for me. This coming in as we're recording Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal, another Stern bomb. IndyCar in advanced talks with NASCAR about a deal to restore Iowa Speedway to the IndyCar schedule in 2022, with Hy-Vee likely to serve as title sponsor of the prospective race per sources. IndyCar declined to comment. 
Now, we had heard rumors about this in Nashville, and it came from Bruce Martin of Speed Sport. So there's a further update on that whole Iowa Speedway, high V throwing on a race next year. Tony George and Bobby Rahal discussing an Iowa Speedway race. They met in Nashville last weekend to discuss reviving a race there. Now, again, Hy-Vee, which is the supermarket chain based in Iowa, they're interested in returning to the track on the schedule. They have their headquarters in Iowa. It was a popular race. Um, Hy-Vee wants to be the title sponsor there. So, again, they have an interested title sponsor. IndyCar leased the track last year from NASCAR. I think it just kind of depends on who is going to be the quote-unquote promoter. Hy-Vee would obviously be the title sponsor here. Um, Penske indicated if Hy-Vee could sponsor the race, then it would become economically viable to return to the short oval. So that is the key here. I mean, I do, you know, the death knell of that event was when Iowa Corn went away. Correct. So with that... But then again, the, the track is in a little bit different circumstances at this point. Yes. So how does that look? I don't know. So Tony George, schedule, who... I mean, good for him putting people in touch and trying to put something together. The quotes, though, were kind of funny. We all agree that IndyCar needs more oval races, and even though I'm no longer a track promoter, I know some people that has interest in getting involved to help bring Iowa back. I think it's important to our series to do so. Long history with quotes like that. I mean, <laughs> if look, if, if look, Tony George is involved in this a little bit more than he's indicating. Yes. Because, look, if... Hy-Vee is interested and Ray Hall's interested, then they could just reach out to Iowa Speedway. Why do they have an intermediary that apparently has no ulterior motives here other than just being the bridge? I find that hard to believe. More so because of the man we're talking about is Tony George. And Bobby says, I don't know about the Iowa race, but there is a discussion going on with Roger and his people. We are hopeful that Hy-Vee and Iowa can continue. We don't know, but we're hopeful. I certainly hope that Iowa happens because that's a great racetrack with great races there. Again, there's Tony is more at play in this than than we. He's know. leading on. Yeah, there's yes. something, something. But again, this afloat. is this is a good thing. I mean, if Iowa comes back, which is the hot rumor as far as the schedule goes, that is a huge, huge, uh, you know, addition to the schedule because of the lack of ovals. So it's a almost a necessity. To add one to two oval races for 22. And the, in my opinion, inevitable departure of Texas after this year. Correct. Well, you mean next year, assuming they honor the contract. Well, I expect them to do it one more time. I I would agree. A farewell, so to speak. All right. So that's the the latest update on, on tracks. We don't have any third OEM or international races rumors, unfortunately. Darn, what's a week without any of that? (laughs) Yeah. So, speaking of the schedule, though, we do have some news as far as, you know, dates. So, Nathan Brown tweeting out uh, the IMSA schedule for next year. This is where this applies. We can expect Long Beach to be the weekend of April 8th and 9th because that's the IMSA schedule. We can expect Detroit to be June 3rd and 4th because that's the race there for IMSA. And then after that... I mean, that's pretty much it as far as the crossover races. But, again, it's something. It's something to keep in mind. 
Yes. It, you know, and this is kind of the time of the year when tracks start, you know, teasing their 2022 schedule. So we, you know, over the next couple of months, we'll probably will get these uh, little bits of information. But, you know, when do you expect, Caleb, the, you know, schedule to come out? Do we expect next month before the before the final at, at Long Beach? Yeah, I would, I would expect so. I think we might see it as early as tomorrow. Por- Portland, no. <laughs> as early as Portland, maybe we could see it You know, by the finale at Long Beach. I, I think we'll have a final schedule out. I mean, the latest they've done is like, what, mid-October? And they're going to race into late September again this year. I, I think the schedule will be done by then. Yeah, I we haven't heard a lot of indications. But then again, if... Roger Penske and his team are as invested in trying to find alternate or new tracks to run. Could that last a little longer into the fall before we see that schedule? That's true. If they're you know still in negotiations, that could extend it just a little bit. You know, in previous years, if it took into October or even late September for the schedule, you're going, oh my gosh, what are we losing? In this scenario with Roger Penske, I would feel, okay, what are we adding? It's just that eternal optimism you have when Roger Penske's running things, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is that is true. All right, so we got to get to some sad news. Uh, first off, Marshall Pruitt's wife, Shabral, uh, her cancer uh, has returned. There's an update on Racer. There's also a GoFundMe, so some some sad news there. And again, continue to uh, send our prayers to Marshall and his wife Chaprall on that battle. Also, we we lost a legend this this week, Bob Jenkins, who did the radio network, who did you know Versus and then NBCSN, who did ESPN and ABC, IMSPA, uh, died at the age of seventy three, and. Man, I mean, he was like the voice of auto racing, essentially, for the 80s and 90s. Yeah, he was. Absolutely. It was a tremendous loss. And, you know, as great of a broadcaster as Bob Jenkins was, everything you hear about Bob is positive. There was not a single utterance, even before he he passed away, you never heard anything bad about Bob. Bob. I mean, he was just a great guy, approachable dude. Nothing but the best wishes for him and, and positive interactions with him. I mean, it's he was just one of those guys that sounded like that you love to be around, was a genuine guy. Um, and he's going to be missed, I feel, for that much more than, uh, you know, broadcasting. He affected us with his broadcasting, but from everything you hear, he, he really impacted a lot more people with his day-to-day interactions and just how genuine and great and nice of a guy he was. So it's unfortunate that we're losing somebody like that, even more so losing a broadcaster of his stature, in my opinion. And and a guy who will forever, I think, have the most famous call in Indy 500 history. Yes. I don't know if that will ever be tough. With little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Just, uh, you know, every time you hear that call, I mean, you you get chills. So... Uh, a big loss, not just for the IndyCar community, but the racing community as well, for everything he did back with 
Thursday Night Thunder and then Saturday Night Thunder, you know, starting out with ESPN in the 80s. Then he did you know, everything from IndyCar to, to NASCAR, everything at IMS, basically. I mean, he was the guy and uh, a big loss. But again, a, a great broadcaster, and um, there's a lot of good stories out there. Be sure to check out. And, and a great tribute by IMS that they put together a video. It's about five minutes long, so be sure to check that out as well. Okay, um, we got a couple of notes to get to. We also got a preview the race at IMS. We haven't even touched that. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much to get to. How about so that? First off, forgot to get to this earlier from Jake Quarry of the IndyCar Radio Network. Interesting tidbit that just hit me. Elio has only run two IndyCar races this year, but has yet to finish behind anyone from his old team, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah. That is wild. Okay. Time to preview the Big Machine Spiked Coolers GP. Bring it. All right. So this weekend, we have 28 cars entered. So I think that's the first That's a storyline. Yeah. That's the first storyline. So R.C. Enerson will be a part of this race as he joins the field with Top Gun Racing. Cody Ware returns in the 52. You have... Let's see. Christian Lungard in the 45 this week. Other additions. Let's see. Elio is back as well in the 06 car. So that, that covers all the additional entries. Massive field. 28 cars. And plenty of runoff. Yes. This is the largest field for IndyCar since 29 at Kentucky in 2011. And then the 34 entered for the abandoned Las Vegas race in 2011. And that's courtesy of Marshall Pruitt. So a massive entry list for this weekend. Pretty hefty list. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's going to be a good weekend of racing. Looking forward to it. So coverage on Saturday on NBCSN. So I was confused. For some reason, I thought this was an NBC race, but it's an NBCSN race. And, of course, also on Sirius XM and the IndyCar Radio Network coverage Saturday, 1230 on NBCSN, the approximate green flag time at 1245. So that is the key that you need to know there. That will lead right into the Xfinity race, which I believe coverage starts for that at 330. So doubleheader at IMS, everything on the road course this weekend should be interesting, especially with Cup on the road course. Xfinity has raced very well on the road course in the past. Uh, which I guess was, what, last year, and that was it. But that was an exciting race. Three key stats to know, courtesy of Chad 200. Powers led 285 laps here. No other drivers led more than 70. Rossi has two podiums, so only two laps led in eight starts. Rail improved 70 positions start to finish in his last nine starts here. So, again, expect Graham Ray Hall to qualify poorly, but somehow finish in the top five. Uh, Will Power will be competitive, you would think, at least speed-wise. Rossi is run okay there. I don't know who you like for this weekend. I have no idea. Do we go with the defending champion? Do you go Renus VK? I'm going to go with New Garden again. I th- yeah, I was going to say New Garden. <laughs> so I'm going to go Colton Herta. Okay. I will say he avenges last week and finds a way to put it in victory lane this week. You know something that that I don't think we've we've mentioned, and it is kind of weird with with Nurtech and having two 
sponsored cars in the field. Well, they the supposedly didn't even have the money for and now they're sponsored too. Yeah. So I, I, it's pretty incredible because I, I kept getting confused. I'm like, that's Grosjean. No, wait, it's where? And now this week again, both have NerdTech ODT on the car. So good on them for, I guess, fronting the money. Just kind of interesting in today's day and age, you have two cars with Dale Coin Racing to boot as the primary on a car. Yeah. And we'll see how Cody Ware does. Hopefully better than he performed last weekend. Who finishes higher this week? Lungard, JJ, Ware, or Enerson? I got to go on that list. I got to go Enerson. Really? First ever start for Top Gun Racing, you're taking Enerson. Well, but he's started several road course races in the past. Well, I understand. It's just, you know, the first a team that's never... He has top tens on road courses in IndyCar. I understand his resume. I'm talking Top Gun Racing. <laughs> Can they execute pit stops? We don't know. I, that's my <laughs> quick question. I think it, it's uh, if you're looking for any type of battle in the field, there it is. Lungard, Johnson, Ware, Enerson, four rookies. Who finishes with the best finish this year, this week? That's, that's a good poll to put up. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put that up on, on Thursday. Got to put that up uh, before the weekend starts. Okay, so that's our preview of the Big Machine Spike Coolers GP. Again, that's a mouthful, and I don't want to have to say that again this week because I'll say it again next week. All right, so we have our uh, random split era driver of the week. You have it ready? Are we yes, ready to, of course. Ready I do. to uh, rock and roll here? Yes. You ready here? I am. We're going to 1996 in the Indy Racing League, and Rick Delorto. <laughs> what? That's the action I want to hear. Rick Delorto, he attempted to race in two kart championship car races, champ car, in the fall of 1982 at Milwaukee and Road America, but failed to make the field in both races. So his his journey into uh, 1996 started way back in 1982. Uh, he made se- in 1985 and 86. He made seven starts in the uh, Formula Super V Championship. I know you have those on VHS uh, somewhere buried in the uh, Hatch household. <laughs> uh, he did compete in two IndyCar races in 1989, but after returning to amateur racing, he reappeared for the first race of the Indy Racing League in 1996, which was at where at. Walt Disney World. Of course it was, is at Walt Disney World. And poor Rick DeLorto, he was with his own team. DeLorto Motorsports was the only guy. I assume he had crew members. I'm saying he's the only driver. Oh, who knows? Maybe he didn't have a pit crew. Maybe he, you know, got out and changed his own tires. But he tested and attempted to make the race in a four-year-old Buick-powered Lola chassis. Chassis. It was a Lola T92, four years old, with a Buick engine. Shockingly, he was not allowed to qualify. He could not complete the driver's test at Walt Disney World, and they did not even allow him to attempt to qualify. Caleb? I'd say, where do you find these people? But it's a very specific timeline of years. And also, there's just a, a bunch of random guys in the IRL in 96 and 97. Oh. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wikipedia is my best friend for this thing. But despite him not even having an, a chance to qualify... For that race, he still earned $10,000 for 
for his entry. He was paid $10,000 for failing his driver's test and not being allowed to qualify at Walt Disney World. But what was the entry fee? <laughs> True. But <laughs> probably you know, technically, also I guess he was never entered in the race. I mean, he was probably on the entry list. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe he was, maybe he had a coupon. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that Buy was Buy one his... race, get one free. <laughs> well, he had to make the one race because that was his only attempt uh, in the IRL uh, to try to make the uh, field. Uh, did not qualify Walt Disney World and went into, um, I think, sports car racing, the, I believe. This name reminds me. You remember Rocky Moran Jr.? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's who this reminds me of because I looked him up and I'm like, what's this is the direct comparison. Now, Rocky Marin Jr. did not make any starts in cart that I can see, but he ran a lights race, one lights race in 2005 for AFS at Indy, finishing 17th. Didn't run anything again until 2015 with Dale Coyne Racing at Long Beach. And then didn't he have like a wrist injury or something and he had to back out of the event? He had some sort of injury, yeah. Um, like he was going to replace Carlos. A finger. Carlos Huertas, which we'll have more on Carlos Huertas. And then Connor Daly replaced him. I'm, I'm finding the article now. Yes, a broken thumb. There you go. For Rocky Moran Jr., who's going to make his IndyCar debut. Broke his thumb in a crash in Friday practice. And then Connor Daly was the fill-in, finishing 22nd. Man. Uh, uh, correction, that was his Indy 500 race. So I, I'd i have to go back to, what was that, 2015 Long Beach? Yes. Got to go back a, a, a few a few races. Oh, look at Dale Coyne, just six years removed for Ro- from Rocky Moran Jr., and now they got Roman Grosjean spinning the wheels around the circuits for him. How about that? Isn't it wild? <laughs> Only at coin racing, let me tell you. Connor Daly finished 21st in the 2015 Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. So there we go. How about that? He's no Rick DeLorto, though. No. So there's your history on Rick DeLorto. He is an Illinois native, born August 18th, 1949. Again, his 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 first attempt at then Cart was in the fall of 1982, failed to make both the Milwaukee Mile and Road America races, and did compete in two IndyCar races in 1989. But I cannot find those results. I don't know where they're at or where he finished. <laughs> but um, then tried to show up in that four-year-old Buick-powered Lola chassis at Walt Disney World for the inaugural IRL event and uh, did not complete his driver's test, was not allowed to qualify, but at least took 10000 home. $10,000 home for his efforts. That's our random split area era driver of the week, Caleb, Mr. Rick Delorto. Good stuff. As always, very good stuff. Hey, All right. Wikipedia is your friend. That is true. A lot of tweets of the week, so I'm just going to run them down. First from Nick Yeoman. I think I've got this one figured out. Carlos Huertas is going to win this race. Marshall Pruitt, <laughs> my Golden Bowling Ball Award just gives itself away to the driver who deserves it most, doesn't it? Hey, hey. Rob Howden, Pagano, check. McLaughlin, check. Newgarden, target. Powers checking them off one by one. Yikes. What is happening? <laughs> what is going on? He's like, he's like, uh, oh, what's the guy's name in uh, in Anchorman with the, with the hat? What's his name? 
Champ kind. Champ. You know when they're when they're having the brawl and he like throws that guy and then he points at somebody else? That's what I'm picturing Will Power. <laughs> like he just disposed of one person and now he's pointing out his next victim. It's Champ Kime. Will Power is Champ Kime. And a wanker. Champ Kime Sports. <laughs> Dario uh, Franchitti tweeting, Magic 8-Ball used by IndyCar to decide the restart order. <laughs> sometimes it'd probably be better if they used that. It would be quicker. Day first, love Robbie Gordon Stadium Super Trucks. But next year, how about an exhibition race with Nashville's Open Top Bachelorette Party Buses? I heard Open Top, and I'm on board. <laughs> oh. <laughs> open Top and Bachelorette. And I, 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 it was a blur after that. <laughs> By the way, Stadium Super Trucks, have you ever seen those races? Yes. Super fun. Robbie Gordon's son, Max, who was 13, he's racing them now. And it was like a riveting I don't know if they raced Saturday or what, but like it was a three-person race at the end. I think Robbie Gordon won, didn't he? Uh, he won Saturday, but on Sunday, Max, I think, just beat his dad. It, it was fascinating. He looks like a young version of his dad. Wow. It's crazy. But, I mean, he's just a kid. Nice. Very good. Very talented. Not that that's a surprise. All right, and then final tweet of the week from Tony DeZeno. This race is as drunk as the bachelorette parties in Nashville. <laughs> Did you the, witness any bachelorette parties in Nashville? I, I mean, you, we were just driving on Broadway Saturday after qualifying, trying to get out of the track because we parked on that side and had to, you know, walk over the bridge and then get out of downtown. And we probably witnessed just sitting in traffic for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes for getting on our way just in that area. I mean, probably like a dozen really? just walking by. Yeah. Sheesh. I mean, it's, it's standard procedure there. Wow. Yeah. Chaos. And bachelor parties as well. Oh, good. You know, can be sexist. Equal, equal opportunity uh, there in Nashville. So. Definitely. All right. Well, that wraps up a very lengthy and busy week. Uh, we'll be back next Hold on. week. Hold yes. on. Oh, Hold on. Yes. We got news here. Ooh. We got news here. Uh, this is from a Dutch motorsports writer and podcaster, uh, Jeroen... Demendal, okay? Okay. Has a decent amount of followers, looks like. Um, but he is saying, and this is Indy Lights news, this was posted today that the future is looking bright for Indy Lights, hearing one new team will formally announce its 2022 entry plans tomorrow. Additionally, two existing Road to Indy teams are looking to expand into Lights next year, so count on 16 to 18 cars in 2022 whoa that is significant and we knew there was that new team that was you know expected to run for next year and i can't think of the name but you know we we talked about that what about a month or so ago sometime during this gap (laughs) of of no races (laughs) so there was that team and again i think we expect you know carlin to maybe expand um 16 to 18 i mean that is what are we at this year? Is it 12? Uh, yeah, 12, maybe a 13th in a couple places. Yeah. But that, that's huge. I mean, we talk about the continued growth of not only IndyCar, but Indy Lights, which was run, running, you know, single car amount of entries just a few short years ago to potentially 18 entries next year. And they're off until Gateway. So they have this weekend off. Next weekend they're back, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, because we we're in the middle of a triple header. 
get crazy. And a triple header this weekend. So yeah, plenty. To, if you're to into talk that about. NASCAR they had, stuff, they had 13 cars at Mid Ohio Race Two. Obviously, Carlin Global Racing Group with HMD Hunkos Andretti, and throwing the Steinbrenner name. You had uh, Sarah Racing with that Antonio Cervale. And then that is it as far as the teams. But So a new team coming in and expansions for other teams. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very exciting, too. For sure. All right. Now with that. Yes, now we're we'll, done. We'll be back next week to recap the Big Machine Spiked Coolers GP. I said it again. And any other <laughs> IndyCar news of interest, probably silly season stuff as well. That's to come next week. Thanks for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.